Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great mercy, defend us from all perils and dangers in this world. For the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, there you go. Did you like anything? What would you like? Good. Good. What would you like? Anything you want to chat about? I may have got 19 things to talk about, but go ahead. Yeah. Oh. Thank you. Book and chapter is extra credit. Good job. Where are you? you got to give me a little page number there. Ooh, you're going right to the end. No, nothing's bad, Kirby. Everything's good. Go. That's great stuff. Already? Oh, I was going to say, like, you know, what could be happening in there? They're so quiet, I think she just got a bounding gag. They can't be, they couldn't, like, wiggle free and hit the button yet. Yes, actually, if you could, if, 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 let's just start on the previous page, just to warm up. Actually, I mean, this is, this is glorious stuff. So the bottom of 182. In other words, the Bible isn't there simply to be an accurate reference point for people who want to look things up and be sure they've got them right. There was one said of a seminary professor who was extraordinarily good. Um, but there was always something that wasn't quite there, and I asked another bright man, you know, what, what it was. And he said, uh, he's a good man, but he enjoys being right too much. Which is an interesting, uh, you know, it's an interesting way to look at life. So the Bible is not just for, for people who want to look things up and be sure they've got it right. Okay, now what that does is that one sentence erases the last 50 years of apologetics. Whoosh. Just all got swept away. Proving people into things, giving them 14 reasons they should believe the Bible should be true. Here's nine reasons for the resurrection. You know, I mean, whoosh. It's just, it just, you know, just sort of goes away. It is there to equip God's people to carry forward his purposes of the new covenant. So Eden, the new Eden, takes its reality through you. Congratulations. I mean, I, I'm not confident it's a great idea. Pick it all of you or me. But it's the Lord's idea, so I guess we should let him go. It's there to equip God's people to carry forward his purposes of a new covenant and a new creation. It is there to enable people to work for justice, to sustain their spirituality as they do so, to create and enhance relationships on every level, and to produce it's like leaven in the loaf. That new creation, which will have about it something of the beauty of God himself. And now, of course, you remember those were the four things he started with, and he said that's what people are interested in. They're interested in justice. They're interested in, you know, spirituality, in beauty, in community. Those, it, you know, it's not exhaustive, but it's a pretty good way to just think about how the world works. Just go home and listen to the news. You don't have to listen six minutes. All four of those things were on the morning news in my drive-in this morning. There's a thing about unemployment and how people get paid on Wall Street too much. That's a justice question. You know, there's a little heartwarming story about somebody being pulled out of a river. That's a beauty question. And it's also a community question, right? Yes, please, but only for the text, because I want to keep going. Is that the text? Good. Down and you start reading. Is that, is that intentionally read? Because then wait a minute, I have something else. 
Who told you that? So who does, so, so does the word, so when they're talking about teaching and inspiring, is it really the cognitive words that they're saying that are instructing, or is it just the presence of the word being observed and what you hear? Thank you. That was brilliantly said, especially toward the end. Hold that thought, okay? And ponder in the midst of whether it has to be one or the other. In, in this church? In this church? In this church? Wow, we should, have, we should have more customer satisfaction surveys. Thank God the Calvary's here. All right. Great question. Can you just hold on to it? It's a great question, okay? All right. The Bible isn't an accurate description of how cars made. Okay? It's not like that. It's more like the mechanic who helps you fix it, the garage attendant who refuels it, and the guide who tells you how to get where you're going. Just nudging you along the way, giving you gifts you hardly know, doing things you don't know how to do, giving you directions you could never find by yourself. And, when, and where you're going is to make God's new creation happen in the world. Not... Yeah, but since I was just reading, I thought you might just be reading with me. But I will speak up a little bit. And where you're going is to make God's new creation happen in this world. Not simply to find your own way unscathed through the old creation. It's not about you. Right? All right, so what happens when you read the Bible? <clears throat> I'm always perplexed by how many... Uh, let me just offer a disclaimer. I'm always surprised how many Muslims we have here every Sunday. Oh yeah, you recognize them because they say things like, everything happens for a reason and that's the will of God. Which is exactly what a, what a, what a taxi driver in Cairo says. They drive 90 miles an hour through red lights and they say, Allah's will be done. Next time you're in Cairo, get in a taxi. You'll see. Another place where people are Muslim is they say, when they, when they bang you over the head with their inspired word, inerrant word of God talk, and then talk about how what that means is um, God wrote it down as if he, you know, put the pen in, in Luke's hand and he wrenched it through and, uh, and scribbled it down the page just the way he wanted it, and therefore we can trust it. Well, I mean, that at best, you have your lines right. You know, it's, it's the Muslims who believe, and by the way, the Mormons, <laughs> that, the, that the plates drop down from heaven. And we don't believe that. What we believe is what the scriptures say. Men wrote as born by the Holy Spirit. The word, and the t I presume the text, although he doesn't say it, I presume that the text comes from the from the. From the where it says all scripture is breathed out by God, which is the Greek word for the wind that fills the sail of a sailboat. And you know how a boat goes. It kind of pushes this way, and then it pushes that way, and then it pushes this way, and then it's more over there and faster sometimes and slower on other days, and eventually it gets where it's going if it's crewed well. Okay. So what I would suggest to you, and you who are older, you know, who, who have been through the troubles in the middle, you know, this table's completely free. What are you all, like 17, 18? <laughs> so you're completely free of this. But, you know, you who are older went through this whole thing where people said, the Bible's the inspired and word of God. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. And suddenly, you know, well, well, yes, you were fired off and came, and your church splits. Yeah, like-minded. Here's the thing. What's, what's glorious about this table of 17-year-olds right here and that young woman who's approximately 16, what's glorious about them, uh, you know, 
uh, is that you ought to get over here. Yeah. What's glorious about them is they could care less. They are free of that argument. Because you know what? They think of the scriptures as where God breathes on them in a beautiful way to build community and strengthen them for the days ahead so that they can be leaven in the loaf, so they can be justice in the world, so the world can be a better place, so that we advance toward, toward um, Eden even now. As he said early in the book, what really matters is life after life after death. This is what Gaining and I have been trying to do on Sunday morning, which is it's not just about staying out of hell. If Christ is in you, and now to your point, then I do have one, which is when the word is spoken into your ear, it bears the body that hung on the cross, drops it inside you. Christ for you externally is now Christ in you eternally, and you can't possibly be the same person. You can't possibly be the same person. Yeah? Now, it doesn't do you an awful lot of good, or but we have to rephrase your question. You put it as, as Latin and then as, as being incomprehensible. So there's, um, there's, there's two possibilities there at least. One would be to learn Latin. The other, which is, of course, the language that the devil speaks, as the priest said. Why do you baptize the baby in Latin? It's the language the devil speaks. Or you know the famous, you know, Just will be here again this weekend. His doctor father sat in a study group with when, when Benedict was still Ratzinger. And to get in this study group, you had to speak five languages. And you had to be a pretty high-level guy. You had to speak, you know, English, Italian, Spanish, German, French. But, he, but, but McHugh said, but when, when Ratzinger really wanted to be understood, he spoke Latin. Now we paid last year, St. John, in the old days, Lanowski, I, I was almost sassy there. <laughs> I mean, just last summer we paid for two students to go to this course in Rome where they speak Latin all the time for the summer. They speak Latin. It's a lost art, but there is this cadre of scholars who speak Latin. We thought it was important that a couple of guys in the Missouri Senate be able to do that. So we sent two seminarians to speak Latin all summer with this famous um, Catholic priest. <sighs> Remarkable kind of stuff. So anyway, the point is, yes, it always bears it even in another language. But it doesn't, and it bears it in some mysterious way. But you can't play that off against not being able to understand it. So if you hear a Latin, if you hear Gaining at the altar muttering, uh, the Agnus Dei. Is that what you say? The, yeah, you say that if you hear him mutter in the Agnus Dei before he communes himself in Latin, even if you don't know what it is, you sort of rejoice that that's being put in, into, into you and into him. But you wouldn't want a steady diet of that because there is some cognitive recognition of what the words do. You can't have full joy in something you don't understand. Yeah, well, uh, you don't, don't apprehend. I'm sorry, but you don't apprehend which means getting a grip on it as opposed to completely understanding it. I misspoke there. In the other thing, it's just, the reason I use all the others because they really don't speak in parables. Right. And, you know, like you were saying the prayer upstairs, mm -hmm. and you were saying that the things are spoken in secret. Sometimes I wonder, he's delivering words, but sometimes <coughs> it's not the primary meaning that's coming out, but the words are different meanings in spirit. Because sometimes you don't always understand the parables, but sometimes I wonder, maybe if it's not giving the parable, it's, it's actually feeling it and putting it in your body that makes the difference. Like you were saying, like chewing it, digesting it. People, Jesus spoke in parables for a number of reasons, but one of them is that we are remarkably weak. And so... Um, There are very few people in the world. I can number under five that I know to whom I can say the exact truth. So if you're going to speak so that people can hear, you need to find a way to speak that people can receive it. Uh, it takes a, a very strong person to have said to them what needs to be said to them in the, mo 
most honest possible way. So part of the reason Jesus speaks in parables is our weakness. Jesus doesn't sort of blast us all at once. But you wake up in the middle of the night and you realize that the living voice is there. Which is why you have a gospel book and not just a red-letter edition. I was thinking that a, a red-letter edition is a poor man's a gospel book the way toaster covers are a poor man's icon. But that's another story, I suppose. So, um, if you begin with the notion that the scriptures are the living voice of Jesus, and you see, that's something that couldn't possibly be said 40 or 50 years ago. When I went through seminary, the entire argument um, was about find the words in the text. You remember, and probably the last gasp of this was, do you remember the Jesus seminar? Do you remember that? These really smart guys who got together, and it was like sorority rush. They would take a text, and then at the end, they would drop in a ball, black ball, white ball, whether or not they believe that Jesus actually said it. And then they published it. I actually have it upstairs. I can show it to you. It's a multicolored thing. And there's only about four words that, in fact, in the Lord's Prayer, I think our Father is the only words that they attribute actually to Jesus. Because they said, well, that was a bit stunning that anybody would talk that way, but the rest is a sort of normal claptrap that anybody could have made up. Um, the, the, the verba, the words at the Lord's Supper, don't fare very well either. Those, but it was almost as if that horrified people and it was the last gasp. And now, and, and we're better for it. Because all you, and preaching changed too. So they used to teach you to write a sermon. You take the text and you find the bit that, you know, Jesus might have said and you try to make some hay out of that. So a complete change over the last four years where the pastor's job is simply to tell you the story in a way that you can understand it. Or perhaps just say one thing about the story that might not have occurred to you. Um, so the vicar, you know, we keep, keep working at him. But he had one line in his Thursday morning Eucharist sermon where he said, God looks at you and he can't tell the difference between you and Jesus. Which is probably a bro the best thing he said in his vicarage and uh, maybe something that hadn't occurred to you before. So try to think about when you read the text, and, and now I go to your thing about this thing about opening the book, and um, here's the thing. I, I've heard that over the years, and I, even that question is a really, it's really interesting because 20 years ago that would have been perhaps a powerful question but, but ask now in this context, it's funny, when you, when you ask it, uh, my first reaction to that is, who would do such a thing? Who would do such a thing? Who would sort of open the book and expect that randomly or the spirit strikes directly? Yes, right. Well, I'll give, I'll give them the terminal. Yeah, I'll give you both of those. But the thing is, is um, that's not the Christian life. Because here's what you know about the Christian life. The Christian life is the text is the viva vox of Jesus. It's the living voice. In a sense, in a sense, you could in a sense you could say that, but that's also a bit like you got a noise in your car, and then you, you don't you don't know whether to start in the trunk or at the engine. You know, you might get you might fix something and get lucky, but so so take it from the other side. Take it from this. Take it, take it in this way. It's the living voice of Jesus that talks to you. Wouldn't you like to have some of that? Because your own life, I mean, I think, and I'm not just talking about you, I'm talking about everybody in the room. In your own life, what you need is another voice. I mean, if you, if you, could, if you could fix your life, you would fix it. If your lives were beautiful, you know, you wouldn't be here. I was thinking, I was thinking the other day about why, why would anybody come to church? And part of it is, is, it alleviates your suffering. In some ways it is. But... Yes, now press, because that's, I know you all must know that's not the only thing you would say. No, I know, but sometimes I feel it. Yeah. But you, well that's, actually hold that impulse, but part of the reason you really need to go is, uh, you're married and you have to be a good wife. <clears throat> I don't want to say anything about him, but he's not here. So, and then you have kids, and then aren't you related to the Gracchis? Yeah, I know. Okay, yeah. So then, I mean, think of that. 
more work here. I didn't say, I didn't say that. You said that. No, but, the, but you, start to, you start to spin it out, and so what do you say? What, what you say is you say is, whoa, if I could do all this on my own, I'd do it. But if, if there was another voice, and if there was another voice, and if that voice was alive, and if it gave me gifts, and here's the thing, if I could just listen. What else? You got something else you like in here? I mean, I can keep going, but I, I hate to keep going. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to bang this too hard because you've heard this before. But the opposite of this is, you know, I'm convinced. I mean, I'm convinced there's only one sin. Um, that nobody can do what they're told. That's the only sin. The only sin is betrayal. There is no other sin. And betrayal is the inability to do as you're told. So, so there's only one sin. And I was reflecting as I read this how betrayal is, is really tied to the inability to listen. So you have this brilliant thing where Jesus quotes Isaiah. I can barely speak up to this. I, I, you know, it's such a difficult thing to hear. To raise my voice and talk to you is, is extraordinarily difficult. Jesus quotes Isaiah uh, chapter 15, I think, where he says something about your, heart, your, 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 your hearts are a long way away from me. Your lips work, but your hearts are a long way away from me. And you remember in the Old Testament that um, you can't have your lips separated from your heart, separated from your ears. And so what Jesus wants to say is, you know, the only sin is that you can't listen. And I'm struck by how few people can actually listen. If we wonder why we can't obey, it may be the previous step, which is we can no longer listen. And part of the reason we can no longer listen is that we have to defend ourselves from the words. So we, our automatic filter is, if we disagree with it, it must be wrong. I'm just so struck by this in the church. If we disagree with the words, the words must certainly be wrong because I must certainly be right. So at base, it is our inability to listen. Most people, when they listen, they're only taking a pause until it's their turn to speak next. And they speak without reference to what's just gone on before them. You know, it's like two televisions that sort of, sort of, um, you just sort of aimed at each other, having a go. <laughs> it's like, it's like everybody. You can get away with that when you're teaching fourth grade, but not when you're a pastor. <laughs> not just one. <laughs> uh, oh, I'll be dead soon. Uh, you hypocrites, says Jesus, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching the doctrines as the precepts of men, which means you defend yourself against the living voice. And as you know, um, you know, Jesus will only be your enemy if you force him to it, but he won't force you to be saved. Yes, please. Uh, uh, Matthew 15, 6, 7, and 8, quoting Isaiah. That's Isaiah 29. I think I'd have to look up the Isaiah text. I was reading it before. So I wonder then, um, if this is the living voice of Jesus, 
Well, let me say, let me, let me say the other thing. Uh, the church is not fourth grade. Okay? Let me tell you why the church is not fourth grade. Uh, the church is not fourth grade because ultimately whatever the church does can be refused. And I think um, sometimes we've forgotten that. You will live. My job is to deliver the Viva Vox. Your job is to have the Viva Vox. So, um, as Paul says, uh, you know, you, you think you judge me. I don't even judge myself, which would be proper stance for a pastor. Proper stance for a pastor would be um, if, he, if he stands outside the Viva Vox, then it's straight to hell with him. But beyond that, you all ought to pay attention because it's not the pastor talking. And proper stance for parishioners is to receive the Viva Vox uh, in all its forms. Chrysostom, when the pastor extends his, hand, extends his hand with the host, it's not the pastor who gives you the body of Jesus, but it is Christ himself. Or um, Augustine, I am for you as bishop and with you as Christian which is an extraordinarily difficult thing for people to absorb. But at the end of the day, people don't listen because they've been told to listen. Um, those people, people with that sort of discipline are very rare. People listen because they see something beautiful. They listen because they're lonely and unloved and they have a shot at community if it's the living voice of Jesus. They listen because the world is a difficult place and the church just might be the place where people play fair, where things are just. They listen because it's a new creation. So anything you can do along the way um, that you would so yeah, that's the reason you have a gospel book, and that's the reason you have incense, and that's the reason you have the liturgy so the pastor doesn't, you know, sort of stray, and that's the reason you wear vestments so you're not looking at his new tie when you're drawing pictures uh, from the <laughs> kid's side. Uh, just think if you would have had to draw him in a tie and had a particular pattern, how much distracting that would be. So um, anyway, the point of all this is, is you, 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 can, you receive this, if you understand the scriptures to be the living voice of Jesus and your last best chance, my guess is you probably want to read them in the morning and maybe at night, you know, like they did in the temple, or you might um, read a little bit from the Psalms every day. Because not, You don't have to read a whole psalm. You read a couple of verses. You know, but you might want to take it as your friend, which is very different from proving people into believing in Jesus, which is about what the last 50 years of the church has been given into, okay? So it's a completely different deal, and it's much more refreshing, much better way to live. What else have we got? Anything else you'd like? I, yes, please. One thing I want to say, in case I've misspoken, uh, I just want to be clear, since I'm sure this will be, you know, <laughs> it'll, be out, it'll be streaming somewhere and somebody will write me a thing. Uh, I do, in fact, believe the scriptures are inerrant. By inerrant, I believe that when the Lord moved human beings to write, he wrote down exactly what he wanted to get written down. 
But he didn't do that by force, he did that by love. It was written by people who had been so near to Christ that they'd been permeated by his spirit. And Christ who was for them was then Christ in them. And when Christ said, would you please, they said, of course. Without deflection or defense. So that's utter faithfulness. That seems to me to be a better definition uh, of, it seems to me to be the community of persons, which is a better definition of how we got what we got, as opposed to sort of the Muslim way of it dropped down from heaven where there were silver and gold plates and special glasses to read them. How about this? Jesus loved his disciples so much, his church so much, and so intended beauty for them that he left them a gift, his living voice. That's what we mean by inspired and also inerrant. But they're not the first things you say because this is a different world now. The apocryphal books, and he gave a pretty generous, and I thought a pretty helpful description of the push and pull about what happened, okay? And the apocryphal books were simply books. You know what the apocryphal books are? If you have a Catholic Bible, you get, you get, you get more for your money in a Catholic Bible. You know, there's those middle things like Bell and the Dragon, you know, and the, you know, what happened to the three men in the fiery furnace, and Judas Maccabees, yeah, and you get Hanukkah for free, all for free, tossed in. Uh, you know, what do you do with those things? Well, here's what you say, uh, which Luther said. I, I mean, I think Luther was right. He said, read them. Good for you. In fact, help me out, sometimes those things even appear in the lectionary in the daily things, do they not? Yeah. Uh, it's and it's probably not too bad. You hear these extra stories. But they're basically stories about how God was faithful to people and how people were faithful back to God. They're very nice stories. What the reason they don't quite rise is not everybody agreed that they had, not everybody agreed on their specific provenance or on their general acceptability. So they might have been a bit local or they might have had a little twist that not everybody agreed on. And so um, when people were saying, I mean, I mean, the way the canon comes together is people say, did you know that? Did you hear that? Read Eusebius someday. How do you, why would Gain, well, Gain, he, well, he was, you know, he got apostolic succession from Sweden, and then Sweden went back to Luther, and Luther went back to, pretty soon, you know, you're back at Peter. You know, that's, that's how Eusebius, that's how it worked in the early church. They, this notion that they just sort of, you know, put this thing together to try to get a, you know, hammer on people is just ridiculous. What happened is, is that people said, did you ever see that? Did you ever hear that? Does that stick with the character of Jesus? And sometimes in the apocryphal things, they said, Pretty close, but not all the way there. And you remember there are even books like James in the New Testament where people talked about the New Testament that way too. So the apocryphal books, read them, have fun with them, um, rejoice in them, and uh, I don't think they can hurt you in any way. It's just one more good gift you've got coming. Just for fun. If, people, if more people would think about the church as just for fun, uh, you know, it's a bit like taking tennis lessons, I suppose. You know, it's not always, uh, it's, it's frustrating at times, and it's a bit of exertion, but at the end of the day, you're better for it, and it is a little more fun than it used to be. Prayers like that, the voice of Christ is like that. But what, what you really have to do is you have to, you have to move out of this minimalistic idea of only praying for yourself, only going to church for yourself, only saying the bare minimum, only caring about if you get out of hell, if you, you have to come to embrace the idea of a new Eden. You have to embrace the impulse of Christ in you for what you were always meant to be. What else have you got? Yes, please. Right.
Because Eskimos have 72 words for snow. Because Eskimos have 72 words for snow. You're impoverished, my child. You speak a, you speak a language which is at best imprecise. I just want to tell you that I love you. <laughs> That's why you have a pastor. That's why you have a pastor. Or your alternative is you can go, you can go learn Greek. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, here's the thing. Okay, good. Well, we, you know, we taught Latin over the summer a couple of summers. Yeah. It was the good old days. Because you have at least two things going on in translation. Okay, just for simple, there's two things at least going on, or, or maybe three. I should have brought, you didn't bring a new, I was going to bring a new testament down, I didn't bring it. There's at least two things going on in translation. One is the difference between languages. So some languages are more, uh, they're richer, and, then, and therefore more precise. So love has at least in its meanings, in love, you have uh, the notion of friendship, the notion of sex, and the notion of selflessness. Right? And you gotta, you gotta know which of those, it's extraordinarily important to know which of those is being talked to in any particular passage when you said love, blah, right? Because the first two come from human beings, or, or, or but, the, but the last one comes only of the Lord. Right? So it's important that you don't even know who's doing it. You know, you know who's loving if you don't kind of know what's going on. Okay, so that's one reason why is is um, the other thing is is that any translation. <clears throat> okay, think of the last time you gossiped. Okay, that should be enough time. Okay, now <clears throat> one of the things about gossip is a story gets told in a bunch of different ways depending on speaker, hearer, situation, context enthusiasm, and a host of things you could also name, right? In the same way when you translate a text, it depends on your understanding. So one of the reasons I hate the NIV, I don't know if that's an NIV, but I just, you know, I went fat. And it's the one that, and, well, no, how could, you, how could you know that? Because your church body told you it was okay, and you know why they told you it was okay? because they didn't file their paperwork fast enough, and so therefore somebody else bought the rights to the Psalms, and they couldn't get the Psalms the same, so they just unleashed it on the whole, something like that, right? It was a bureaucratic snafu. So we, we unleashed the NIV then on an entire, on an entire, now it's not that you're not supposed to read it, but let me give you an example. The Greek word for, the Greek word when it often says receive or accept the Holy Spirit, Receiver, there's there's a word for a Greek word for receive or accept, and you can translate that as a passive thing, receive. That means somebody puts it into your pocket, or you can. The same word also means accept, which means you actually do something. Now it's extraordinary, extraordinarily important when you come to faith, whether or not it's something that you do or it's something that's done to you. Guess what? Guess who translated the the guess who translated the NIV? The evangelicals. So guess what, every time they translate that verb, guess how they translate it? Yeah. So part of it is, is you have, you know, you, part of it is your presuppositions, you know? If I say I love, my, I love you to my wife, that can mean a range of things depending on context, including shut up and I'm leaving, right? I mean, it can, right? So, um, so that's the reason why. So part of it is, is so what you, I hope would happen when your pastor says that, and we try, we try rarely to say that in a sermon, although occasionally you just, sometimes there are things in the sermon where Jesus is so clever. Uh, uh, it, it's just so clever, and he says two things in, 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 in one. You just, he had to mean that, you know? And you just have to say it, and you can't, 
put in eight words where it says, that's why you have the little marks in the bottom, right? But if we could just, you know, see the thing is, what will happen is if you read the text this way, if you start to read the text as beauty, as encounter, as living voice, you don't have to read the text as beating somebody else down with the proper proof text. And suddenly then, you have this possibility of, whoosh. My biggest concern is that, I mean, my biggest concern is we protect ourselves from the text. I mean, we really do in the church, and, and maybe the older you are, the harder this is, or maybe it depends on who your pastor was or who brought you up in Sunday school. We protect ourselves from the text. It's almost a knee-jerk reaction to say, if I don't agree with it, it must be wrong. I can't tell you how often people tell us we're wrong when we're just quoting scripture. I mean, it is, it is stunning. And, and, and the thing is, is the only reason people say we're wrong is because they don't want to hear what we have to say. So, I mean, that's on them then. See, and that's part of it too, and we have to always kind of remember that. We, our job is to deliver the viva vox. So someday I'll stand before the Lord, and what the grid for me is, did I say what he said? The grid for you is, did you hear what he said? Okay? It's going to be very different for the two of us um, because of my vocation. <clears throat> this congregation right now is going through a period of antinomianism. I must have had a dozen people in the last 90 days say to me, don't put the law on us, we're Christians as if Christians don't need the law. So we say to somebody, that's a sin. And people are like, don't judge me, or you're not being loving, or you can't say that to me. As if people don't need both the law and the gospel. This is a fairly fundamental Lutheran thing, that I'm simul justus epicotter, I'm sinner at the same time I'm saint, so the sinner part of me needs the law, every day, and the same part of me needs the gospel every day. I've just been struck by how often this particular thing. This is a very bald statement of people just protecting themselves from the law. Um, it's a very, well, yeah, it is, except that it's weird as long as it's about somebody else, but when, it's, when it comes to you or to me, then we're like, you can't possibly say that about me. I don't know. I, you know, I think it has to do with stress. I think it has to do with people not being able to take any more bad news. I think it has to do with uh, how people see their pastors. I think it has to do with what people want in the world. I think it has to do with the naivete about how you become a Christian. I mean, how you become a Christian is that, you know, the, the word of the God sort of scrapes you clean of all the stuff that you're holding back. And then you rejoice in the gift that's given. That's what happens in the viva vox of the liturgy or confession, for example, right? But people don't want to hear that. They don't want to, they want to put their own definitions to the words, you know? Our, bi our big problem is we put our own, we substitute our voice for the living voice of Jesus, right? And so we're, we're very much unwilling to hear, especially in this, well, I don't know, that's probably not fair. I was going to say, especially in this community of overachievers who like to pretend they do everything right. There, I said it, and I'll take it back. Because it's probably for other, it's probably true in other communities, too. Because there's no, I've worked in poor communities, I've worked all, there's no righteous poor. Poor people are just as cranky when you sort of give it to them, too. But here's the thing, you know what makes, <laughs> try to remember that we're on the way to Eden. And if, in Eden, there will only be gospel. There only was gospel in Eden, there will only be gospel in Eden. There will only be the beauty of God, and it will be perfect. In between, the pastor's job is to deliver whatever, to scrape away, you know. You should think of your pastor much more like a surgeon. I, well, although I, I will say that I am more surprised these days about how people crank and the doc. However, if I took a big, sharp thing and was coming right at you, and I said, do you see this thing right here? Just sit still for a moment. I'm going to take that out of you. Oh, hold tight. You know, you'll stand for that for a doctor. But if a pastor said, you know this, I think I'm going to cut this off from about there down. Okay? Like, I'll just find another church. I'll just shop. Okay? Yeah, well, but the thing is, is, of course, if you say that, then, of course, you think your body's more important than your soul, so you're going straight to hell, so 
Have a nice day. Uh, your question. We'll have a. Tend your chakras. Yes. If you would allow us to inflict pain on you, this would be over much more quickly. Yeah, that's right. Oh, see, that's its own special form of pain. That's right. That's right. Yes. Yes. Well, because you, because you love your bodies more than your souls, it's a very simple thing. And the other thing is, you're do-it-yourselfers. Now, so, so now here's really interesting. You could stretch at home. Let's just press this. I love this. Yeah, let's just press this because you could stretch at home like you could pray at home. Uh, you could, you know, buy those Suzanne Summers videos at home. You know, you could. Late night, I'm lying awake looking at the show. I might as well watch Infos. So, uh, you know, you could do that at home, but you don't. Now, why do you go to yoga? Oh, come on now, why do you go? And so you'll accept a yoga guide. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you'll take it from your yoga instructor about you know whether your hamstrings work or not, but from your pastor, will you hear the Viva Vox? No, because what she's saying now, just hold that, and I'm going to read for you. The light. Well, of course you were. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. I'm in the wrong business, man. Well, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. Yes. You can back up all you want. That's right. Me? Yeah. Probably. Yes, because I'm under somebody's care. Okay, right. But I'm not under your care. Right, no, not me. No. I'm under a bishop's care and a confessor. <laughs> I might. You might make the pain really helpful. Uh, like yoga. No, no, I'm sorry. I've just mended my relationship to you. Right. Of course. I have a I have a bishop and I have right. a confessor and so um, yeah, I'm under Yes, so I will, that's well said, although I just, hadn't, I just wasn't brought in this time so far, but yes, that's right. We're all under. And you shouldn't trust anybody. Go ahead. Right. Right. I go out of my way not to, not to say, you should know nothing about me, exactly. Oof. <laughs> but, uh, you know so I mean? will you, by the way, since you have kids, fourth commandment. <laughs> no, I, I didn't mean it as the law. I just, I was just, obs I was just observing the broader context. You're right. You've pressed this to a, to a great. You'll also be judged for your next door neighbor, by the way, as will I. Right, but see, but that's what I'm saying is that sometimes people are, you know, they'll be like, oh yeah, you Really? You've actually heard that? Jeez. Where did you hear that? Who who'd you hear that from? <laughs> as an example, as a theoretical thing that could never possibly happen. I understand now. I'm right with you. Okay, good. I know. Right. Here's where you can pin my ears back. You can pin my ears back if you can find anything that I say that's not in Scripture or in the way of Scripture. Okay. Which is why I, what I always think is interesting is when people here's what people presume about me because I have the liturgy that I listen to classical music. So I'll just ask you. Could I right now name more hip hop artists or more classical composers? Your choice, you guess. Hip hop. Who's listening to hip hop? Classical. Okay, so take Gaining. What is where where what's Gaining's favorite? Who's Gaining's favorite? Yeah, that's right. 
All I know is it was, it was when I had, here's the thing, it was my mistake not to have the edited version of Dr. Dre in my office when I was after, after five. It was my mistake, okay, I own it, it's my mistake. I didn't know I wasn't going to get the edited version from Pandora. So I just kicked it up for Gainig. I'm like, Gainig, hometown boy, you know, we shoot it down, or I just, I wish I could tell you something. People buy me books, which they think might, I might be sympathetic to, which are regular to the right of Attila the Hun. <laughs> and they think that they're doing me this great. Although I, when I receive the book, I always think to myself, do you think I believe this? Do you think I'm an idiot? Do you think I'm ill-informed? Do you think I'm going to like stockpile uh, guns and flower in your basement with you? Why would you give me this book, you see? See, because you would, I would love to know who you think I voted for in the election. You'll never know, but I would love, I would love, I would love to know. Because people make all kinds of assumptions. You couldn't, if you, <laughs> you know how when you get your Wii, do you have a Wii? You probably do, don't you? You have a cursor. You know how you get to create. You know how you can create. You know how you can create your. You know how you can create your Wii character. I would love for you all. I would love for all of you to create Wii characters for the pastors. No, but but here's my point is. Well, he told me to pull one up. You wouldn't get. You wouldn't get within a thousand miles of what we think about anything outside the scriptures. You wouldn't get within a thousand miles because none of you know. What, but but the thing is, there's all these presumptions because we deliver in a particular way. That's right. Right. That's right. A, it's a rabbinical term. What I received, I delivered right. on the night our Lord was betrayed. That's what, that's what you do. You have a right. rabbi and you and deliver. Right. And the Bereans are the people who open their Bibles. And Paul says they're the most noble listeners. Why? Because they have the Bible in one hand while he's preaching. And they go, yeah, that adds up, that adds right. up, that adds yeah. up, right? So on strategy, people can disagree all over the place. And we rarely, rarely, I mean, we say strategically, and we say this because we're here 12 hours a day, six days a week, we know where everybody, we know everything about everybody, so we stay strategically, it looks to us like we should do this. But here's the other thing, I don't have a vote in this congregation. I'm not one of the 10 governing board votes, you know, and I'm one vote in the voters meeting. Strategically, y'all can do whatever you want, now, we have some particular insight about that sometimes, because we're here all the time, and we probably have a broader palette than most people. But strategically, do what you want. But Viva Vox-wise, yeah. we're not free, so you're not free. Right, yeah. And it's not always easy. Well, and, and one it's would, not now, now let's just, let's just, yeah, and say, and why isn't it easy to hear? And why isn't it easy to say? Exactly. Because you don't want the Viva Vox. You want the opposite of the Viva Vox. It would be a deadly voice, which is the voice that's in your head, which is the voice that pleases you, which is the voice that's selfish, which is anti-community, anti-beauty, anti-spirituality, and anti-justice. It's all about me. And now we're back where we started. Yeah, finally I can get an amen from the crowd. 65 minutes in, I can get an amen when it finally comes back to being about you. Boom, boom. So why be the church then? So why be the church? Uh, okay, so the thing is, if we don't... Yeah, okay, so let's try to hold that thought next time we start complaining about stuff. Because just, just, it ain't working so well for you all by yourselves alone, you know, at home. It's just not. Otherwise, you wouldn't show up. So how about coming along and trying to make it work? How about being the kind of church where the living voice of Jesus has its way, and everybody just for an hour says, okay. That would be an interesting experiment. You know what I'd love? I mean, I, I you know because I'm a dad, I say this. You know what I'd love? I'd love if everybody just did what I said for about a day, or a week, or a year. I mean, I just, here's, I mean, I said this to leadership. I said, why don't you all just do what I asked? Why don't you just, just for a year, why don't you just do what I asked? And you know what? And it, well, here's the thing. And if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, I'll own it and go somewhere else. I'll own it, and it'll be on me. But part of the problem here is that everything is reduced by 47%, and then things don't work by 73%, and then people say, what went wrong? And it's like, what went wrong is you didn't do what I said to do. I mean, take your kids. You know, if you tell your kids, you know, if you tell your kids to do something and they only do 60% of it, how, how do you feel about that? That, how's that working out for you? How's that in terms of beauty or community or justice or spirituality? How's that working for you? Yeah, right. Exactly. So, so the thing is, is 
Just everybody own what, own what it is. That's the law side. On the, on the gospel side, though, is if we could hear the voice of Jesus, if we could hear the voice of Jesus and sort of all play along with that, and we're, we don't even know what that means. We, it, it takes a lifetime to figure that out, you know? It takes a lifetime. Jeez. Yeah, it does. But shoot me right now then, because that will make it okay in the end. Here's the thing, man. I only have. Yes. Which is very different from him saying it makes it okay in the end. So here's the thing. If you're a complete jamoke, the Lord will forgive your jamokeness and turn you into anti-jamoke. But it doesn't, but it's not an excuse to be a jerk, okay? Go. Oh. Relax. The one that comes from Jesus' lips. And that one would be in print? Well, one would be very careful to pose the question about it being in print. I know. And then let's, let me just and let me just throw in a little something for lay readers reading the Re- Viva Vox, which is you know people always bang me for why don't we have lay readers? Why, you know the one thing that holds me up from having lay two things hold me up. One is people who throw up on their shoes when they get in front of crowds, and two is where Paul says to Timothy with a technical Greek word, commit yourself as pastor to the public reading of the scriptures, which means that's given to a pastor as a pastor's job. Just like giving the Eucharist is a pastor's job, you're a steward of the mysteries. So here's the thing. You're not going to get, even if you had the Greek translation in front of you, I'll show you. On the bottom of the Greek Bible, there's the page. You'll have this much Greek text, and on the bottom, you have this much footnote. And you know what? The footnotes are actually in code because they're so long. So Dr. Dr. Ernst Bammel. at uh, the May balls, which are really in June, leaned into me and said, Dr. Bruzek, it will be, the minutia will make you a famous man. It was said of Bamel that he could teach the entire first four centuries of church history from the coded footnotes in the bottom of his New Testament. Quite a feat, sort of like being able to swallow a flaming sword. So the point is, even if you're Dr. Dr. Ernst Bamel, rest in peace, um, you won't get the answer that you're looking for. But here's what you will get. You gain the confidence when you compare. And he did a good job in the book of Sam. They see Sam, like we have one, one, you know, one copy of the Gallic Wars, two copies of this. But you have hundreds, if not thousands, of copies of scripture, and they all pretty much match. The coolest thing about the Dead Sea Scrolls when they found them was almost everything matched. It wasn't like they don't match and it's all false. It's like it almost all matches. And that was hundreds of years before the earliest things. Like, you know, when they used to write texts, they would have a special room and uh, they would, I know this is going to freak you out, but guess what? They would put on special vestments and then they'd have a special liturgy and then they'd all sit down and write. And if there was one mistake on the page, those things were thrown away with ceremony because that was the Viva Vox on the page and a new page was started, and that's how the text is, that's how carefully the text will transform itself. So what you need is, here's the, here's the thing, um, no scripture is a matter of one's private interpretation. Can you give me the text for that? I can't come up with it off the top of my head. Which means the scriptures are meant to, be, that's a scriptural verb, which means the scriptures will be able to be read in The kids will be fine. No, read it to read it to them for the NIV, and then next year buy them a come up to my office. I'll give a New English Bible, New English. Or here's the thing: the Church of England. You can't believe, you can't make this stuff up. The Church of England once commissioned a Psalm book, which never was approved, 
but on the committee sat Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. T.S. Eliot. I have a copy upstairs. I bought it off. You open it up and it's just like... A co- it was a psalm. It was a, a translation of the psalms. T.S. Eliot and C.S. Lewis were both on the committee. And you, you read it and you just go... It didn't get... You know, and who knows the politics or the reasons why. Read that to him for a year because there is... A, it's pointed morning and evening. It's just like... Oh, I don't know what the name of the thing is. It's just the psalms. It's not the whole scripture. You're asking what psalms to read. Read that, and then read another one, and read for joy. And then, after you've read them ten times through in ten different lines, then you start to get the context, and then you start to get the feel, and then you start to get the enthusiasm. Then you start to live it. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. You know. You're, you're asking the wrong question. So I, just because we're getting out of... You're asking the wrong question. You're asking a question from worry and fear. Ask a question about the viva vox, about the Holy Spirit who loves you, about the community that Christ embodies, about the text that he gives you, about the joy that he wants to bring, about how he loves your kid, right? Yeah, there are things that aren't the best. It's the wrong question. The question is, does Jesus love me and will he deliver his living voice in these things despite our arguments, inabilities, lovelessness? If it's about us, it's always wrong. If it's about Christ, it's always right. He'll deliver the goods. Just, just read it into the kid's ear. Just keep going. Yes, please. Toss this one over to you, big boy. <laughs> Well, there might be a there might be a third alternative. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, you know what? You should quit your day job and write. I mean, I've told you that before. You could make a zillion dollars. You could make a gazillion dollars if you would just write this all down. Oh well. You know, when you were young, did you lick your fingers and put them in a socket for excitement? I know a kid who used to do that. He used to take a little, like one of those little screwdrivers to fix your glasses. He would lick the screwdriver and then he would stick it in the socket for excitement. You mean excitement like that? I do, but I do, but your your but your gods are Greek when you ask that question because right behind this is the presumption that when Eden returns, God will smite us. So no, actually, I think that's what I would. There's a couple of there's a couple of of presuppositions I don't think you want to own in that question. One is that there's some finite point where Eden. It's this is a, you'll never be able to say in Eden, this is as good as it gets. And I think there's a presupposition in your question about this is as good as it gets. So every, every day in Eden is better than the day before. Okay? So the question is, it'll always be, I, I, I don't know, I want to die. I don't know what this could possibly be like. How can every day be better than the last forever? You know? So now back that down. Well, partly your question is wholly theoretical, of course. Uh, but wouldn't you like to be part of a church? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to try? And this, of course, is the impulse for ascetic communities and monasteries and convents. And part of what they're saying is, wouldn't you like to try to live in a community where everybody played along? Now, what would... I know. I understand, but, but exactly. So and so, but here's the problem with us, and this is this is this is this is such an important thing. Stress reveals who you are. 
It doesn't just, stress, stress doesn't just develop character. Stress, demonic stress, temptation. It doesn't just develop character. It reveals character, okay? And one of the things that it reveals in us, here's what, here's what I notice in people, even really good people, even really good people, you default to what is natural. And what is natural is evil. Okay? So just take, just take us, okay? So there's a little bit of stress in the air. So, you know, what happens? People start to do what they're most comfortable with. They start to think about the church the way they think about their job, the way they think about the evening news, the way they think about themselves in utterly natural ways, which are, now it's my vox, not the viva vox, which is an outcropping of original sin. And then if the pastor says that's sinful, then they say, who are you to talk to me like that? Or why would you add to my stress? Or who do you think you are? Or where did you get that notion? Or do you think you're better than everybody else? We're going to keep going because I got like 111 of those things that people say to me. It doesn't have to happen because the, to, to suggest, see, this is, you know what's so good about this? What's so good about this is all the presuppositions that are built into your question. So doesn't it have to happen? No, it doesn't have, because here's what you're thinking. You're thinking, we're here, and doesn't it have to happen means, whoa, that's too high for us. I'm starting to get a nosebleed. Instead, we're here, and Eden is up here. And instead of saying, doesn't it have to happen means, don't we have to go back down here and regroup? And my answer is, I'm going to die soon. Could you please get busy with the justice, beauty, community, and spirituality? I don't have that many heartbeats left, okay? So could you please, because I've given my life to this, let's go! Which is, it's this, and then it's this, and it mimics eternity, and this goes here, 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 and it never ends! And, if I, and so what happens, so your pastor says, now, re reference what I said earlier, are you one of the five I can talk to bluntly? So I say to you, Kathy, you're living an internalized lie. And then I'm going to tell you the story about the person who came to Pastor Gainick and went like this in his face. Your sermon suck, bing, okay? They should go. And, then, and then you know what happens when they go? People come to us, and this is the exact words, what have you done? Okay, so re the real question is, Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.